Scripture reading comes from the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. So if there's a, brought your Bible or there's a blue pew Bible in front of you, you can pick that out towards the end of the the New Testament, Philippians chapter 2. We're going to start with reading verse 3 and go through verse 11. Philippians 2, verse 3 verse 11. Let's stand together as we read God's word. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others, and have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. You may be seated. Let's take a moment to reflect together on God's word. If you ever can remember seeing a picture in your science book or Google it or something, a picture of the solar system. You know, the the first thing that stands out, the, the one dominant thing of the solar system is what's at the center, the sun. It's, it's so much more massive. It's, it, it holds the whole system together. Everything spins around this one massive center of gravity. And to try to get some appreciation for just how big it is, uh, if you were to just fly continually around the earth in a jet plane, it would take you 45 hours to fly around the earth. If you were to take that same plane and fly around the sun, It would take you seven and a half months. So it's just massive. It's just so dominating. And everything in the system operates off its gravitational pull. It's so big that it sets the trajectory of the rest of the system. And in fact, if you removed the sun from the center just ever so slightly, the whole, whole system would collapse. This is a good picture of how Paul thinks about this text. This is the center of gravity for Paul. This is everything for the Apostle Paul, who Jesus is, and everything else revolves around him. And if you move him even ever so slightly off center, then everything else collapses. And so we want to take a look at this passage this morning and just see how how important it is. It can't be overstated. And to see how this gravitational center, both of life and in this book, everything operates around these few verses in Philippians. You could draw a line from Philippians chapter 1 or chapter 2 or chapter 3 or chapter 4 back to this one little passage because everything sort of feeds off of it. And so because this passage is so important, Paul was beginning to talk about the the need for understanding Jesus, and he inserted 
This passage is actually a poem or a song. Most scholars think it's an ancient hymn. So he's getting to this point where he, this is how I imagine it anyway, he's getting to this point that he's going to talk about the massive gravitational center of the, of the Son of God, and he can't just say it, he has to sing it. You know, sometimes if you just say something, it just doesn't come out right, but if you sing it, well, not if I, if I sing it, it doesn't come out right, but you know what I'm saying, just, you have some emotion that if I just say something, it, it just falls flat, but if I sing it. There's something more powerful to that. We just saw that here just a few minutes ago. And so Paul is going to get to this gravitational center. He wants everybody to be focused on it. And then he just burst into a song about how great Jesus is. And so as we dive into the content of this letter for the next several weeks, uh, even a few months, I thought it would be important to just start here because this is really the center of the letter and then we'll go back to chapter 1 verse 1. Let me begin by just setting the the text in the context. So as I mentioned last week one of the main themes that runs all the way through the book of Philippians is the theme of unity. Paul has been the first person to bring the gospel to this little town called Philippi. It's in northern Greece and he knows this This tiny little church is sitting there in the massive shadow of the Roman Empire. And the tidal wave of the culture is just almost more than the the church can bear. And he knows they're going to have to swim against this tide or at least stand against the tide of the culture. And he knows there's going to be suffering. Look, Look with me in Philippians chapter 1 verse 28. I think it's helpful just to see this. And don't be frightened in anything by your opponents. I just want you to hear that. This is Paul. He knows there's going to be opposition to their faith. He knows it's going to come against them like a tidal wave. And he's saying, I don't, I don't want you to be afraid of that. And he doesn't want this pressure coming from the culture, this suffering that they're going to have to endure, to lead to any kind of division in the body. So what happens to a family unit, a church unit, a state, a nation, when pressure comes on, when suffering comes on? Quite often it can create division. And so Paul doesn't want that. He wants them to remain unified. And you can see it in verse 27. Let only your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I find you standing in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side. He just says the same thing three times in a row. I want you guys to be together. And the way you're going to be together, verse 3 of chapter 2, do nothing from rivalry or conceit. See, the pressure, Paul feels pressure is going to come on. And when pressure comes on, you're going to move towards yourself. And I don't want you to move towards yourself. I want you to move towards each other in humility. I want you to count others more significant than yourselves. Don't don't look out for your own interest. Try Try to look out for the interest of others. Think of them as more significant. So so when you come into church, you think, okay, there's some really significant people here. And I'm not going to see all of them, but the ones I see, I'm going to count them more significant than me. I'm not going to race in and get the first place in the line like you would in middle school. You're just going to say, no, all these people, they're more significant than I am. 
And that's going to create this sense of unity. Like flour is the primary ingredient for bread, humility is the primary ingredient for unity. You just can't make a good loaf of bread without flour. You can have all the eggs and sugar and butter and water you want, but if you don't have any flour, you're just not going to have any bread. And the same thing for unity. If you don't have humility as this main mixing ingredient coming through the congregation, then it's not going to be successful. Paul, in in chapter 2, he's going to ask the Philippians to, to shine like stars in the universe as they hold out the word of life. And the way they're going to do that is to have humility. One of my favorite business leaders writes a lot of books and speaks quite often. And somebody I learn a lot from is a guy named Patrick Lencioni. And uh, his favorite quote, and there are several that I have, is this one. If you were searching for leaders to change the world, what qualities would you look for? It's a question he asks. You know, every, every young business person, they're, they're starting out. They want to make their mark. They want to change the world. They at least want to change their city or change the culture. What would you look for? Courage and intelligence would certainly be prime candidates. Yet I would rank two others ahead of them. Here's what he says. Humility and pain tolerance. If you're looking for people who want to change the world... Here's the two key mixing ingredients, humility and pain tolerance. This, and he goes on to say this. I love this honesty. When I graduated from college, I wanted to change the world. I mean, if you've graduated from college and you didn't want to change the world, then go back to college because when you graduate, you're supposed to leave saying, I want to change the world. That's the whole purpose. You get to be 57, you have much lower expectations of yourself. But when you're 22, you want to change the world. But, however, he says, I was more interested in being recognized than for having changed the world. You know, I thought it really doesn't matter what I change as long as I change something, so I get the credit for it. You see, making a difference was really not about the world after all. It was about me. There were limits to my desire to change the world, I found out. As much as I, made, I wanted to make a difference... I wasn't keen on suffering too much. Sure, I can deal with some hard work, maybe some temporary setbacks, but real suffering, embarrassment, rejection by loved ones, uh, no thank you. I don't want to make that big of a difference, I found out. Before setting out on a quest to change the world, Christian leaders should probably ask themselves two questions. Who am I really serving? And am I ready to suffer? See, Patrick Lencioni is just picking up from the Apostle Paul. He's just saying, okay, little church, you're going to have to stand against the cultural tide that's coming against you. And, and if we could just have two things, pain tolerance and humility. Humility. Humility is, is such an important ingredient. So Paul is going to go searching for a, a visual uh, example for them to follow. He's telling them they need to be humble. But then, you know, as a good teacher, you're going to tell the student something, but then you want to give them a, an example. So in case you're not an audible, you know, elite learner, you're a visual learner, he says, okay, here's an example. He goes searching for example, and guess who he ends up with? Jesus. Actually, I don't think he went searching for an example. I think he knew he was going to Jesus all the time. But he brings Jesus out, 
And he wants to say some incredible things about Jesus. And then, and then ultimately he wants to say, this is our model. This is our example. Paul knows if the church in Philippi or the church in Wilmington is going to have any success at humility. If we're going to have any success at these verses 3 and 4, considering others better than yourself, not, not working out of, out of our own pride, we're going to have to have something massive at the center of our lives to hold us together when we don't want to do it. It's going to have to be something that has so much influence, so much gravitational effect, and, and that person that must be sitting at the center of our lives is Jesus. So verse 5, it says, let's just look at these verses together. Have this mind among yourselves. So I want you to have this mindset, which is yours in Christ Jesus. The emphasis here is that Christ had a particular mindset. And Paul wants the Philippians, he wants each of us to have the same mindset of Christ. And then in verse 6, Paul begins a a really incredible journey. And I I don't want us to miss any of these words in here. One scholar said this, the story of the cross of Christ is told in the Gospels. The meaning of the cross of Christ is told in the rest of the New Testament. But in this passage, the cross is seen through the mind of the crucified Savior. See, you're getting a different look. It's not... I'm just telling you about Jesus or I'm explaining Jesus. No, now now I'm actually getting into his mind and I'm trying to understand his mindset. So we want to be careful as we come into this place. Before we examine the treasures found in these few verses, I just want to say again, this is this is a densely packed treasure box. We could spend several weeks just on these few verses. And I'm going to spend just a few minutes on these few verses. But I want you to know, and I want you to be a good student and go back and and pick up treasures and stare at them because they're really worthwhile. This reminded me of of about a month ago, uh, my grandson, Daniel Paul. He was here for a weekend. It was rainy on a Saturday and on a rainy Saturday, and you have a two-and-a-half-year-old, you need to find some place to go. And fortunately, I have a key to the church. And uh, he likes to play in the children's room and all kinds of toys and stuff. So it really works out well. He runs in. He's been here many times, runs down the hallway, opens the door. No toys. Not one toy. Because of COVID. All gone. And he just, you know, just rocked him for a moment. His center of gravity got off center. But I I knew they were all upstairs. And they're all stacked upstairs. And there's this rolling petition to sort of block them off. But they're all just crammed in this one small space. I said, hey, buddy, let's go upstairs. Kind of dejected, you know. Okay. We go upstairs and he's just looking at the wall. And I said, hey, look at this. And I pull the wall back. And I wish you could have seen his face because it was like, oh, treasures from heaven. I mean, this two and a half year old is like, you know, all of Walmart Christmas dropped into this one location. And he, he, it took him several seconds just to absorb 
that all the treasures are right here. I don't have to go to room to room. They're all right here. All the treasures of Christ are right here. It's like Paul is pulling back this wall and he's saying, every great treasure is right here. And, and I wish I had time to just pick, pick up every toy and we could just be amazed by it. But we don't have time here to, to do that. But I really want to encourage you to do it on your own. Verse 6, verse 6, everything is riding on verse 6. Who, though was he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, describing Jesus. Jesus is God. That's a mic drop moment. Jesus is actually God. He's God with skin on. He's the God who came in the flesh. He's the incarnation. It's what we celebrate at Christmas. And it's, he, Paul uses the form of God. And, of course, you want to ask yourself these questions. Does that mean that Jesus is, is just like God? Or is Jesus actually God? Is he very God of very God? Of one, uh, one of the same sus- substance, as we said in the Nicene Creed. And the way you would answer that is you would look at this current context and say, well, what does Paul mean by that? And, of course, you always want to broaden out to a larger biblical context. So let me just unpack this briefly. First of all, in the current context, you notice just in the next phrase, Jesus did not count equality with God something to be grasped. So this is something that Jesus was holding on to because he's going to have to let go of it or ungrasp it. So Paul is clearly stating that Jesus was equal with God. You might say Jesus rightfully holds all the privileges, all the roles, all the responsibilities of God. And although he could count his glorious position, as it says, as his own, instead, Jesus is counting something else. He's holding on to all these things. He sees the treasure. He sees the wealth. He's counting it. He's considering it, some of your translations say. But at this moment, he's also counting something else or someone else, which we'll get to in a moment. So we know he's, he's not just in the form of God. He's actually equal with God because of the context. And then I just want to read a few verses again because this is, this is so massive and this is so important just to understand that the Bible clearly understands that Jesus is God. Colossians 1, verses, uh, chapter 1, verse 15. And I'll just read these to you. He, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the center of the solar system. Same book, verse uh, verse, uh, 9 in chapter 2. For in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Now, I could go to many different places and say the same thing. Let me go to one more in John chapter 5. This is Jesus doing miracles and frustrating the Pharisees. And it says this in John chapter 5, verse 18. This is why the Jews were asking all the more to kill Jesus 
because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus believed he was God. The people who looked at Jesus thought he was saying he was God. And then the New Testament clearly plays that out, that Jesus is God. Now, this is, this is everything. And again, I don't want you to be so used to coming to church that you don't really consider this. Do you really think God came down to this planet in the human form of Jesus Christ? It's everything. Your answer to that is the answer to everything else now. So Paul wants to put that great treasure right as the first step along our journey because if you're not going if if he's slightly off center then the system is going to collapse. For Paul this is true. It's actually true period and Paul believes it and so does Paul Phillips but the question I have for you is just do you do you believe it because it's going to make a difference for everything else. So Jesus is God. I'm I'm saying this is what Paul is saying. And now he's saying, now that we're sure he's God, this is the mindset we want to have. What better way could we live as a human being than follow after God who came down in a human being in a human form and follow after him? So here here's what I want to do. I want to give three three more points here about how his divinity plays out in his life. And then next week, which I was hoping to get it all in one sermon, but I couldn't. Next week, I want to talk about how that should shape our thinking. Does that make sense? So I want to do, I just want us to look at three ways that the divinity of Christ, how he uses his divinity to live his life, And then next week, we're just going to pick up on those same things and say, okay, now let's have practical application to your life. Does that make sense? Okay, just nod your head. Yeah, okay, good. You're you're awake. All right. So first, first, how did Jesus, Jesus use his divinity? He did not count or consider equality with God something to be grasped. He decided not to hold on to it. Instead, he was considering and counting something else. What was Jesus counting? He was counting others more important than himself. And who were those others? You. Me. Again, I, I don't want to run by this. This is, this is a massive treasure. God is looking at all of the glorious parts of being God. He's counting it. It it can't even be counted. And he's counting that. He's considering it. And at the same time, he turns his head and he's counting something else. He's counting Paul's sinful soul who has no hope in experiencing the glorious riches of God Unless he lets go of this. Jesus' mindset was to let go of his massively privileged position 
and count others more important than themselves. Now, you can already see the application, but I'll wait till next week. Think about the massively dominating, important position that he has. It dwarfs anybody and everybody in this room and everybody in the world. And he really looked at it. He counted it. And then he looked at people who were completely undeserving and said, I'm counting you more important than myself. That's the mindset of Jesus. That's the mindset Paul wants us to adopt. Secondly, verse 7, he emptied himself and took the form of a slave. This is so important. It, it, look, it's all important. I mean, how many times am I going to say that? But this really is important. He emptied himself. He took the form of a slave. Jesus made the voluntary decision not to hold on to his divine rights. Instead, he... He took hold of humility. Contrast this with Adam and Eve, who tried to reach out and try to become God. Jesus is letting go of that in order to become a human form. See, this is we could go down these treasure islands, and we don't have time. Jesus, and notice Jesus' specific form. It's not just in human likeness. He didn't come just as a, a human, like in a form of a king, but he came in the form of a servant. And, and I know this story is so familiar. Christmas gets so familiar. But when you hear this, you're supposed to fall out of your seat. You really are. What? God squeezed down in a human form? Well, what kind of human form would you choose if you were going to be God? I mean, some kind of powerful person, somebody that everybody could look up to, somebody who had all power. What does he do? He comes down as a slave. This is foolishness. As Paul says, the Gentiles thought. You see, I just want you to see the distance Jesus was willing to travel, his mindset. Jesus' mindset was to empty himself and not promote himself. Can you think of any personal applications for that in our world? Oh, yeah. The self is not something that's supposed to be promoted. The self is something that's supposed to be emptied out for the selves of other people. I'll save the application until next week. Third thing, third treasure We've pulled back a wall. I've only had time to pick up a few tra- treasures. Verse 8, he humbled himself, become not just in the human form, not just as a slave, but to become obedient to death, even death on the cross. The most humiliating, the most painful death the Romans could think of. If you are a Roman citizen, you couldn't be crucified. It was too gruesome for a citizen to be crucified, no matter what your, what your crime And when Paul says he was obedient to death, he doesn't mean that death was some sort of master. No, it meant that Jesus was obedient all the way up to death. So when you see Jesus hanging on the cross, he's not a victim. He's a volunteer. See, this is so important. Because if you and I are going to have this mindset, 
We're not going to be victims. We're volunteers. We're, we're making these decisions to come down. We're, we're letting go of all this glory in order to leverage ourselves to get up under people. It's, it's not surprising when Jesus gets his disciples together and says, Hey guys, anybody want to be first? And every disciple, Whoa, yes. Then you should become slave of all. You see how it's completely upside down in our world. I love how one commentator stated, and I want to close with this before we get to communion. He ends his commentary on verse 8 this way. This was the mind of Christ. He looked at himself, at his Father, and at us. And for sinner's sake, Jesus held nothing back. This is the mindset of Christ. He looks at all these things more glorious than you and I could ever possibly hold. And then he looks at us and he lets go of all of his massively importance and wealth and glory to hold on to humility, to leverage himself, to get up underneath people who couldn't stand on their own so that they could stand on him. That's Jesus' mindset. You can be thinking, how do I think that should play out in my life this week? But I'm going to give you some examples of that next week. Let's appropriately move to communion. Imagine Jesus and his friends standing around or sitting around this table, and he's saying, this is my body, this is my blood. I'm not going to hold anything back. And so as we take communion together, I just want to give you some quick instructions. First, there's a a clear cellophane wrap on the top that you need to pull off first. It's very important. And the wafers underneath it. Don't grab both at the same time. You're going to be in trouble. Will, are you in trouble? No, you're not in trouble. Okay. And then you're going to take the other one and pull it back, and you'll see the juice. So you should end up with a wafer. And juice. This is the, this represents the body and blood of Christ. Let's take and eat of his humility for us. Let's pray together. Lord, it's so massive. You're so massive that that me trying to explain it seems uh, impossible. Us trying to take some elements from a prepackaged delivery system. I mean, none of these things do justice to the the dominance that everything was made. Through you, everything is made for you. And you are, you are holding us together right now. So I pray that as we, we try to stare at these treasures that are Jesus, as we try to consider the implications, that you, you would help us to begin to work on adopting or having your mindset. 
that, that as we try to make a decision, as we enter into a discussion, as we enter into a conversation, as we, we meet someone else, we, we are beginning to say, okay, this person is more important than myself. I'm, I'm not going to do something out of rivalry. I, I'm not going to do something out of pride here. I'm not going to shout down. I'm going to get down and get under. Would it begin to shape the way we live so that we could be pain tolerant as you were, humble? This is the way you're going to change the world. Pray this in Jesus' name. Let's stand and sing our closing song.